Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. Whoa, what a week we've had. It's been tough staying away, ladies and gentlemen. I've wanted to come back to you a number of times. I wanted to be here on election night. I wanted to be here the next morning. You know, it's been good that we've waited. We've watched markets gyrate up and down and huge days up. Uh, Election Day, uh, we got the results. So uh, Wednesday, we have something up over 500 points on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Everything's rallying. The president has a press conference. Reporters are thrown out of the White House. Nancy Pelosi has a press conference. Everybody has a press conference. I, of course, got cut off on CNBC uh, by all of these people, probably because they were having press conferences. Uh, And the markets uh, didn't do as well today. So we're taking a look at all of the predictions, whether they were true or not. And what can we look forward to now? And what does this mean for markets? So we're so glad that you join us on the Farcast. Remember that we believe money's hard to make. Let's be careful with our money. We believe that old-fashioned research, hard work, and discipline, patience are the keys to successful investing. And we believe that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. So as we get past the election hype, uh, and as we saw markets gyrate this week, you know, I, I hope like you, like I, were trying to remember all of the things that Kenny Polcari has been telling us for the past several months, in fact, going back for the full year. And certainly lately, Kenny has been telling us um, that you, we need to look at the Fed. We need to, uh, we need to get, not get too excited about these, um, uh, about these elections and that it's still going to come down to the numbers and earnings and that the market has really endured some damage and still needs to build a base. And a lot of the time that doesn't happen particularly quickly. So we're going to go right back to the source. Smartest guy on Wall Street, I know. Kenny Polcari, managing director of O'Neill Securities, head of floor operations, has been on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange since God was in short pants. Slow down, slow down. Very, uh, very handsome, dashing, articulate Kenny Polcari. Hey, KP, welcome to the Farcast again. Thank you for being with us, buddy. How are you? I'm fabulous. I'm fabulous. So tell us, give us your take. Uh, I read your note today, and ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't read Kenny's note, you get a good recipe on how to uh, bake a turkey. You'll be all set for uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> good turkey recipe today, Kenny. Uh, so roast a classic roasted turkey. It was. It was. It looked delicious. I got hungry just reading the recipe. So tell me, uh, you, I don't think you were surprised by these election results or the market's reaction, were you? No, I wasn't surprised at all. I think what I was a little bit surprised at, I thought yesterday's rally was was um, a little bit extended. I think part of that was, you know, you could you could say it was part of relief, uh, you know. But I think the f- up 500 points on the Dow on a on an ex on a on a result that was really expected, right? The split house is exactly what the market had expected, or what we, is what we had been talking about. Um, and so I thought yesterday's reaction, although very positive, might have been a little bit overdone. I think it took us right up to. Uh, intermediate resistance, right, which right, is right. which is very important because we traded right up there. We stalled right at that point, and today then we backed off a bit, which makes perfect sense. And I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if we saw the market kind of churn and back off a little bit, a little bit more before it starts to attempt to rally once again. 
you think uh, you think uh, that we still have? Um, I mean, so as you look at the 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 negative, the downside, yep. uh, some of the lows that have been made over the past couple of weeks. How close do yep. we go back and test some of those lows? I mean, are we going to see this before we're out of it, down another thousand points? So, no, I don't think we're going to see it down another thousand points. I think if on the S and P, for instance, right, the S and P closed at twenty eight oh six. I think if we test, I, I think if if I'm going to guess. Uh, a level that we could potentially test is back down to 2,700, which is down about 100, 100 points from where we are right now. Although I have to tell you, the tone of it today was very different uh, than it was yesterday. You could feel the market. What does that mean? What do you mean? What was difference in the tone today? Because we didn't, it well, wasn't a I, kind of an eh day, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly right. But yesterday, I think there was so much, you know, there was there was almost like a, it was like the relief valve went off yesterday, right? After the election, people were so relieved that it wasn't either a complete Republican sweep or a complete Democratic sweep. And people, you know, we got the, we got exactly what we wanted. And so there was this, there was this massive, you know, almost sigh of relief. Um, and today, after, you know, we've kind of now lived through it for another day, and we've had a couple of new things happen, which were not necessarily completely expected, although I think the Jeff Session things has been rumored, but I don't think anyone expected it to happen yesterday, for instance. Um, you know, it caused a little bit of consternation today in the market, and the fact is that the market rallied, you know, 500 points on the Dow or, or 75 points on the S&P yesterday. For anyone to be uh, surprised at all that it gave back a little bit today, you know, and, and the Dow actually ended up in positive territory. Um, and the S&P just ended down, uh, down uh, seven. Quarter of so, a percent. You know, no quarter one should of a be percent. surprised at that. Huh? Quarter of one percent. It was down. Yeah. Uh, the Dow was yeah, up yeah. a couple but of no basis points. No one should be surprised at all. Yes, it was up NASDAQ was down half Both a percent. Yeah. So the Nasdaq right. gave up and a little bit more. So it looked like maybe a little bit more of the risk trade off, huh? Right. Well, because what happens is, look, the Nasdaq is always tends to be those are the those are the growth things, right? Those are the very kind of sexy everyone wants to be in. They they were the ones that had gotten so beaten up on the way down that when the market turned around yesterday and it was up 500 points, people went in, you know, buying those names. First of all, because they're tradable, right? Apple's tradable, Netflix is tradable, Google's tradable. Even though they're very expensive, they are tradable. You can get in and get out relatively easy. Um, and so today, when the market, you know, t- decided to take a little bit of a breath after yesterday's rally, you would once again expect that those high-flying growth names would be the ones that would come under a little bit of pressure, and they did, more so than the broader market. Okay. So, Kenny, are we going to see, as this market, so we, you say we could see the S&P down to 2,700 again to retest some of those, I mean, make some lows in that area. That's your thought? Yeah, so, well, I, I think that's the worst case. If you want my honest opinion, I think it's going to find support right at the, uh, at what is now the, the, once again, has become the long-term 200-day moving average, which would be really down at 2763. So maybe down 40 or 50 points from where we are now is honestly where I honestly feels like now that we've gotten through the election where it will find support. I think it will test it. I think it's going to test it over the next, you know, over the course of the next week. But I do think that the, uh, that it will find support there. The worst case is if we break that, then we go to 2700. But I, my gut today doesn't tell me that. So you think happen. downside from this market now is three to four percent? Yeah, I just think it's down. What did I say? I just well, said, said fifty, probably uh, probably forty points. So what's that? Forty nine. Uh, well, I did forty nine uh, points. Okay, that's one and a half percent. If you get down to twenty seven hundred, it might be two percent. But you know, down fifty points is only one and a half percent. Because look, we're in a seasonally strong time of the year. I do think there is going to be a Santa Claus rally. I do think that retail is going to be strong. Uh, I and, and so therefore, I think you're going to see the market kind of creep up into the end of the year. I don't think it's going to make a new high, but I think we're going 
going to be higher than where we are now. I think we're going to be somewhere between, you know, where we are now, 2800 and, and uh, 2850 I think is probably where the market's going to end the year. It'll have some churning between now and then, but I think it's going to make the slow, uh, the slow methodical move higher again. So you think between now and the end of December, I've got a 1.5% upside and a 1.5% downside? Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Yeah, I wow. think that's exactly about right. Because look, the market once you again. You should think it's exactly about up. right because it's what you just said. I just put it in percentages. <laughs> right. But then you add, listen, when you add in div- dividends. I'm quoting right, Polcari to Polcari, and he thinks I'm smart. Great. <laughs> but when you add in when you add in dividends, you have a total return. You're going to end up getting you know nine about nine percent back on your money, and that makes sense. Well, 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 I get, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. I get nine percent back on my money for the full year. Is what you're saying? Correct. Yes. Correct. Okay. All right. All right. Right. But look, right now, uh, last week, we were in negative territory year to date, right? The S&P was negative on the year. The Dow was negative on the year. And, the, and, and NASDAQ was almost negative on the year. Now we're back. The NASDAQ is back up 9%, almost, uh, almost 9.5%. And the S&P and the, and the Dow are back up 5% as of this morning. So backed off a tiny bit today. So we're still at 5%. So like I said, I think through the next month and a half, you've got maybe another 1% or 1.5% uh, on the on the index, and then you add in your dividends, and you're going to be right there at about nine, nine and a half percent. Okay, so Kenny, so, so, and I think that's fair. Okay, so Kenny, I got people telling me that we've got wage inflation that's going to start, that's already starting to hit profit margins. We got tariffs coming. We've got uh, higher interest rates and higher debt service costs. The tax, the benefits, yep. the one-time jump from the be- tax benefits go away next year. The anniversary out. So we're looking at a five percent earnings growth world. For 2019, and actually, far you've got this wrong, and so does Pokari. The market's just readjusting to the new normal that's going to be a good deal lower and a good deal slower. Well, so I think that's a 2019 story, right? I agree with you that all those things are happening, although I think the tariff thing is going to get solved. So I, don't, I think that's going to get dragged up, but I think it's going solved. to get solved. How does it get we solved? All know that rates are solved? Going up. What? solved? What do you mean solved? How does the tariff thing get solved? Because I think China and the U.S. are going to come to a deal. I don't think that, I, I think these tariffs are going to be, you know, once they come to a deal, then the tariffs are going to be eliminated, right? Once you come to a deal, then, then he'll pull back on the tariffs and the deal will be the deal. And I think that we're ultimately going to get there. Okay. I do think that they're going to solve this problem, and I think they're actually going to solve it before year end. You're going to solve the tariffs before year end with China? I think, I think that Trump's going to pull. I think that's his, I think that's, he's got something up his sleeve and that, by before the end of the year, that we're going to see that they're going to make much more progress on this. And look, they're going to the G20 meeting at the end of the month, right? right they're going to sit right, down and talk. And that's right. when I think you're going to find that all of a sudden he's going to pull this, you know, this uh, rabbit out of his hat and go, look, here we go. Okay, so. I, I just, that's what my gut tells me. All right, all right, all right. Listen, that gut, that gut, and, and uh, we've talked about your gut privately before. I don't think we've ever talked about your gut. Um, we don't have to tell everybody. On the, uh, no, well, I guess, I, okay, let's just keep it between us then. We won't tell anybody. We just, but, uh, you know, your, your gut is, is um, uh, let's just say your instincts. Your instincts, you know, have been earned over, over a lot of time in the, in the marketplace. I mean, you've been around and seen a lot. They're, it's worth a lot. Your, your, your instincts are very important, I think. And I, I mean, I trust him. I really do. So, right. But but look, 
a week, a month ago, in the month of October, when the world was crashing, they threw every negative thing. They were talking about the tax. They were talking about interest rates. They were talking about, and, and those, are, those things are all legitimate, and they're right. And now we went from being in minus year to date. Now we're back up 5%. Those problems all still exist, right? Tariffs have not gone away. Interest rates are going up. We know that. Wage inflation is coming, but yet they are starting to take the market again because I think that the market is discounting all that. I think it's discounting the tariffs because I think the market also believes that, that – U.S. and China are going to come to an agreement. May not be completely perfect, but we're going to come to an agreement. It's going to be better than it's going to be better than these tariffs. The wage inflation thing you can't do anything about. If the economy is as strong as it is, then the, then the Fed is right. They have to raise rates they in do. order to try to normalize and slow it down a little bit because at un, with unemployment at three point seven percent, the lowest it's been in in a hundred years. You're saying the right? Fed's right and wage doing inflation what doing. is happening. We know that wage inflation is going to cause is going to cause cost push inflation, right? It's going to cost these companies more money to employ the people. They're going to pay them more money. They're going to pass on that increased cost by pushing up prices of their goods, right? That's cost push versus so you, demand pull So inflation. you're saying the Fed's right in doing what they're doing and raising rates? I think the rates. Fed is absolutely right. Absolutely right. Fed is absolutely right. And, and so what I think we're going to get rates going up in December, as expected. I do still think we're going to get three rate increases in 2019. Now, you might convince me that maybe it's only going to be two, because if, in fact, uh, the, the macro data does start to weaken, then I think the Fed will pull back. But I, right now, I still think they're going for three rate increases in 2019 as well. Okay. And I think the so, market already knows that and expects that. I think if they talk about four rate increases, then we, get, then we, hit, our, we, we hit our heads on the, on, the, on the ceiling again. And so, if they go for okay. only two rate increases then I think, you know, you, you'll see the market start to take off. Okay. All right. All right. So these are, so we, we've got at least uh, three-quarters of a point coming to us uh, over the next probably uh, 12 months, or maybe 15 months. months. So yeah. three-quarters of a point more. That takes the, that takes the uh, uh, 10-year Treasury to 4%. Hey, it, let me, I got a final question for you because we're out of time, and this is fabulous. I mean, you, you have been so dead on, and thank you so much because this is so, so helpful to all of our listeners. Um, uh, is is Tina dead? Tina, uh, ladies and gentlemen, there is no alternative, so you had to own stocks. But you've got a, almost 3% on the two-year Treasury now. Three years on that or 5 or 6% growth next year. I mean, really? What am I going to do? I got 3% guarantee. I don't think Tina's dead, but I certainly think there's a challenge now, right? There, there are going to be other options for people, right? They don't necessarily all have to keep plowing. Tina the, in the ICU. Tina's in the ICU, Yeah. 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 Okay. So we'll see where uh, this this is going to be competition for money. It's absolutely going to be competition for money, and it should be because because that should be the normal, right? That is normal, right? There should be competition for money. So I'm going to tell you, we have to get it back to that rate. I'm going to tell you what that means to me. When there's competition for money, uh, it's going to become much more of a stock picker's market, and active management is going to have its day again. You're starting to see it surge now. It's going to continue. My friend Kenny Polcari from uh, O'Neill Securities is managing director, head of floor operations, and is a pro's pro. Kenny P., thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be right back with my great friend Dan Mahaffey, our senior political analyst on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. Do you have an upcoming function and need a dynamic speaker to engage your audience? You've enjoyed listening to the Farcast, so why not invite Michael Farr to speak at your next event? In addition to hosting the Farcast and serving as president of the advisory firm Farr, Miller & Washington, Michael is the longest-serving paid contributor to CNBC. 
He is recognized by audiences, and his presentations on the economic outlook are always well-received. Michael has recently appeared at such venues as the Economic Club of Memphis, the University of Delaware, Matheson Financial Conference, and the YPO-WPO Economic Summit. Add your event to the growing list of organizations who have been informed and captivated by Michael's insights. For more information, or to book Michael for an upcoming event, please email me, Harry Jennings, at hjennings at farmiller.com, or call me at 202-530-5608. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast. Boy, it's hard to keep your feet still when you hear that wonderful Farcast music. Remember, we're going to have the best of from KTEL out just in time for your holiday shopping season. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. We're in Washington, D.C. this evening. It is dark on the streets of Washington already here, and it was dark at 5.30, and it's darker now. Hate that. <laughs> uh, uh, welcome back. We're so glad you join us every week and allow us into your homes and offices and kitchens and in your earbuds on your runs and time at the gym with you. It is a great privilege for us. We hope you are enjoying it. We appreciate your notes. Thank you very much for the emails and for the texts that we get, uh, some of the questions that we also get uh, here on the forecast. Uh, well, now, uh, segment two, of course, we cover Washington. We've done Wall Street with my friend Kenny Polcari. We go to Washington with my friend, our senior political car, uh, analyst, uh, uh, Dan Mahaffey from the Center of the Study of the Presidency and Congress. Uh, Dan is a Washington uh, insider, uh, understands the ins and outs of Capitol Hill. And by the way, you know, we hold him accountable for everything he says here on the forecast. He called this election, has called it for some six months now. I mean, to the T, uh, uh, right on the nose. Uh, Dan, congratulations. You really you got this one uh, pretty much right on. Thank you, Michael. And it was I think it was very easy to, to start to see some of these trends taking shape when we looked at uh, last year's elections in, in Virginia and New Jersey, uh, where you were going to see the, the suburbs turn away from President Trump and turn hard, uh, while his rural base would serve as a bulwark, um, along with the uh, favorable Senate map that the GOP had. Was this a blue wave? It didn't feel like a blue tidal wave, exactly. What do you think? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think it was a tidal wave in a sense. And you know, the challenge that Democrats face is because the uh, suburbs and their base is so geographically compact in the cities and suburbs. Uh, combine that with gerrymandering and self-sorting. Uh, even a huge wave by the Republicans in term, excuse me, by the Democrats in terms of raw vote yep. uh, will only bring about a smaller shift in the House seats. Uh, but they weren't really looking at the exact count as much as they're looking at the chairmanships, the subpoena power, and the power for oversight over the administration. And so what's your take here? Was this, was this a uh, somewhat win for both sides? Can both sides declare victory? Or, 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 or who, who is licking their wounds more? Which side? Or do we, does it matter? Well, I think the Republicans are going to have to lick their wounds and look at look at the areas of America that are the suburbs, the cities, uh, those areas that have always been key to enduring Republican majority coalitions that somehow uh, were able to bind together rural interests along with the educated, the entrepreneurial, uh, and others in cities. 
Um, but now that they've deserted, seem to have deserted the, the Trump-run Republican Party, uh, you just have to understand that there's the demographic challenge of looking at rural America, um, although you also have some outliers, I think we'll still see them confident about how they performed in Florida, how they performed in Ohio. Um, but Republicans might have to start looking with some concern uh, at the Electoral College map, um, you know, given that states like Texas, uh, Georgia, and Arizona um, were becoming increasingly close as the suburban voter uh, shifted away from the GOP. So, and and women voters, right? I mean, women, voters, women voters swung keep, hard. Women voters, first-time voters, and that all brought, you know, which was amazing to see, um, no matter which side you were on, uh, the highest midterm turnout since uh, 1966. And we're still counting votes that are coming in in California. We could have uh, the best midterm uh, turnout since uh, the 1910s. I can't remember whom I voted for in 1966. Um, I'll have to I'll have to really I'll have to go back and, and check my ballots that I that I say um, I was around in 1960. I was not voting, but I was around in 1966. All I was right, a Dan. twinkle in my parents eye and I'm pretty sure I cast a ballot in Cook County nonetheless. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you can do that in, in Illinois. Uh, it definitely, yes. uh, probably several. Um, okay. So, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, so we saw the president's press conference yesterday. We saw Nancy Pelosi's, uh, uh, press conference yesterday. Uh, and then, well, we saw his prepared remarks, which I thought were very presidential, uh, and, and, and positive, um, and, and, and collaborative and cohesive, uh, and, and, and had a wonderful tone to them. And then we saw the press conference, which was, it, it struck me as pretty combative, what did you make of all of yeah. that? Well, there's this, it's a, such a dichotomy that we always see, and, and particularly now that we go into a, an era of divided government, which history tells us needn't be a barrier to accomplishment. Divided government, we've seen uh, reforms to entitlement programs, welfare to work, balanced budgets, uh, immigration, social security reform. Those are great accomplishments that have historically happened during periods of divided government because each side has to give and take a little. Um, and President Trump seemed to take that tone along with, uh, we assume, incoming Speaker Pelosi, um, taking that tone of perhaps, okay, uh, immigration, infrastructure, some of those big things uh, we can find a compromise on. Uh, but once you get off the teleprompter and you get back to that uh, campaign rally or press conference Trump where he has that foil of the media or the or the crowd to whip him up, uh, you don't see that same uh, idea of collegiality. Um, so the question going ahead is, do we get the, you know, that long-anticipated, we always talked, okay, perhaps President Trump would be the art of the deal President Trump, that he'd want to be a, a Washington wheeler and dealer. Um, but at the same time, is there that desire to uh, you know, appeal to the base and keep that Trump coalition strong, uh, protected, and happy um, that keeps uh, pundits like us seeming like uh, Lucy with the football. Each time that idea of uh, compromise is put forward, it's lifted right as we uh, try and kick for it. So how does this uh, play out? Do we, do we um, you know, uh, Greg Valliere, who's going to be coming up, and I'm so excited, Greg's going to be coming up in our third segment uh, on... on uh, Exactly how all of the politics translate into economics tonight. Uh, but 
are we going to see? I mean, was this a was this a paradigm? This this speech and press conference a paradigm for the way we could see the president and the House end up working or not working together? I mean, could it start out with with the with the flowery uh, language and end up in the combative phase and? Will will uh, Speaker Pelosi and President Trump end up being mortal enemies here, or can they work together? What are you thinking? Well, I think first we have to see uh, how much further we go with what we've seen at the Justice Department and changes there. Um, if we go straight from the midterms to a, a brewing constitutional crisis, then I think the well's going to be completely poisoned. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, now stop, because I need you to explain that. The going to the Justice Department, what you mean is what? Yeah, the, the firing of Attorney General Sessions, the appointment uh, of an acting Attorney General uh, Whitaker, who was the chief of staff, a, a longtime partisan Republican, uh, although not Senate confirmed at this point. So there's going to be a ton of legal questions about how much authority he has uh, as acting Attorney General and whether that extends to the Mueller investigation, given uh, his already public comments about how the Mueller investigation has gone too far, um, and even the fact that in an appearance on CNN not long ago, uh, he laid out exactly how an acting attorney general might uh, starve the Mueller investigation of resources rather than directly shut it down. So if there is a big brouhaha over the Mueller investigation over the coming weeks, I, I just see the well being poisoned by the time the Democrats uh, take the gavels in the House and we see the new Senate uh, take shape. Um, if we can get past that, you know, perhaps we see, and the big question is, can the president compartmentalize uh, the desire to get some things done uh, with the inevitable oversight that's going to come of, of the scandals uh, surrounding some of the cabinet members, the decisions made on immigration, family separation, travel bans, things of that nature. So you think some progress um, so can be made? I think there's a there's a window if the president can compartmentalize it uh, in in certain ways to understand that they're they're not always going to get along with the house, uh, but there's going to be ways it needs to uh, still go. But forward. you're saying that that's really part two. We've got to get past the Mueller investigation, and you think that Robert Mueller, well, clearly Robert Mueller has been quiet in the weeks leading up to the election. When do you expect to hear from Mueller, and how much uh, how, how many grenades do you think he has left to throw? Is is this going to fizzle out, or is it really going to be? And you mentioned constitutional crisis. How does how do we go from a Mueller investigation and an acting attorney general into a constitutional crisis? Well, I think what would be interesting to, to look at is, uh, over the coming weeks, do we see uh, indictments that get closer and closer to Trump's inner circle? Uh, do they come from the special counsel themselves, or have they been farmed out uh, to other uh, U.S. attorneys' offices in, in specific districts, likely Manhattan, Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C., uh, that can't get shut down? Um, even if the special counsel is uh, shut down or otherwise impeded. Um, and then also to look at, it's interesting that the uh, Leon Jaworski's, um, the the path that he took in providing the, uh, the Watergate documents and that investigation right. to the House uh, is a very similar pattern for how a Mueller report might get in the hands of Democratic committees uh, in the House. So, you know, seeing that structure and how that plays out, uh, is one aspect of it. Um, I think looking to the president, the other interesting thing is uh, historian John Meacham 
uh, was on MSNBC, and he's someone I respect greatly in his analyses. You know, he went um, to the University of the South in Sewanee, Tennessee. John Meacham did. Yeah, I hear that's a good establishment. Fabulous if you want an education. Intelligent people. Fabulous if you want um, an education. Mm-hmm. Yes, almost as good as that uh, that hilltop college called Georgetown in, in Washington D.C. Not heard um, of that. I've never heard of it. <laughs> but you have it uh, in a way. He said we need to weaponize the president's own narcissism, um, and he said that was a way to say to the president, one day people are going to be looking at your oil portrait. Uh, hanging in the White House or some portrait gallery. Um, and if you really want to have a lasting legacy, you're going to have to figure out how to put some of this animus and some of your near-term fragility behind you in order for long-term success. Okay. So uh, 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 how does that – How does so finally, uh, how do we play out going forward? It, it, do you think that the Democrats start uh, – um, they're sending subpoenas, or or uh, will they overplay their hand here? How does how do you see this going forward over the next okay balance of the year and then into 2019? Well, I think you're going to look at it and say that look the the Republican base uh, either uh, didn't care about these scandals and issues or were willing to overlook them for whatever reason. So the that trench line is somewhat already drawn. Uh, that Republicans uh, will either seem to, to not care or step behind the president, while the Democrats will want to look into it. Um, you know, Majority Leader McConnell coined an interesting term, presidential harassment, uh, during his press conference to, to warn Democrats about overstepping. Uh, but I think there are just some areas where they will feel the need to have to investigate. And if they push against Mueller, it will only raise the suspicions and even more investigation into the White House. So they have to ask the question, even if that is a useful foil uh, for uh, their base to get fired up about the overreach of a Democratic Congress, do they have the time, the bandwidth, and the resources, considering that many people will have to lawyer up uh, and face a, a barrage of subpoenas from Capitol Hill? Lawyer up and face a barrage of subpoenas. All right. Well, it looks like we're going to continue to live in interesting times. And our friend Dan Mahaffey, uh, our senior political analyst here on the Farcast, is going to help us find our way through uh, and navigate through that dark wood that Dante drove us, uh, talked to us about. Uh, in the middle of life's journey, I found myself amidst a dark wood, is what Dante said. That was at the beginning of the Inferno, ladies and gentlemen. Let's uh, hope we're a little bit off on that one. Dan, thank you so much for joining us on the Farcast. We're going to talk to you again next week, buddy. You're awesome. Thank you. Great to talk to you. Take care. Yeah, man. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Mahaffey from the Center of the Study of the Presidency in Congress, thank you so much. Thank you for being with us. We're going to come back, I'm so excited, with Greg Valliere. This is the great Greg Valliere. I'll have his bio for you. This is a Washington, D.C. insider's insider. He was the chief political analyst for Charles Schwab for a long time. I appeared with him, oh, hell, 20 years ago on Wall Street Week over in Owings Mills, Maryland, with Luke Rukeyser's orange chair spinning. Uh, anyway, stick with us. We're going to come right back on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast.
This is Harry Jennings, producer for The Farcast. Thank you for listening this week and every week. We love making the show for you. Next week, we'll have special guest Thomas Heath from The Washington Post. Join us again to learn about Wall Street, Main Street, and your world on The Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. There's more of that fabulous music. Don't you just love it? Welcome back to the Farcast. Hard to keep from tapping your toes as you sit in your cars and offices and kitchens, wherever you may have on the, on the, at the gym. Uh, get in your groove listening to the Farcast music. Uh, I am Michael Farr, and we're in Washington, D.C. We've had a terrific Farcast tonight. Kenny Polcari from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Dan Mahaffey, our senior political analyst, uh, terrific insights into the into the election and what he thinks that we're going to see going forward. But now, ladies and gentlemen, it is a great treat and a privilege uh, to have one of my wonderful friends and colleagues for many years join us on the forecast. Greg Valier is chief global strategist at Horizon Investments. Greg has been at this a long time. He is a Washington insider, pros pro, went to Georgetown University. He co-founded the Washington Forum, which linked Wall Street with Washington. And then he had, I mean, he was director of research at Charles Schwab uh, for the Washington Research Group. He's on CNBC, Bloomberg, CNN, Fox, uh, CBS. He's in the Wall Street Journal. You know, I first met Greg. Greg, I think the first time we met was on uh, Rue Kaiser's set over in um, Owings Mills, Maryland. Is, is, am I right? Is my memory right? I, those were the days, weren't they, Michael? I think that's right. We met them. We were, we were both. And you know, neither of us has changed a bit. I just want to say, uh, we, <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. Age has been kinder to you than it has been to me. But uh, welcome, Greg. I'm so glad. It is a great honor to have you here. Well, I'm, I always love to work with you. You're the best. So uh, let's do some rocking and rolling. Okay. So, Greg, we were just uh, we, we, we had an election. We had a change in the House. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, uh, one of my must reads every day is uh, Greg Valliere's notes. And we're going to tell you on our website uh, exactly how to subscribe to Greg's notes at Horizon Investments. I read him every day. He is concise, and, and you boy, do you keep up with what's going on in Washington. They're excellent, Greg. I really do. I've complimented you Thank before, you. but uh, they're outstanding. So you, this is we saw what you have been predicting and calling for for many months. Tell us, how, tell us how you're reacting. What do you think it means? Was Who, who really won? Did anybody really win? Well, it was something for everybody, Michael. Everybody got uh, some victory, whether it was control of the House or Senate seats or, or, or governorships. I, I, I'll take kind of a contrarian view uh, right now, and that is I don't think this election it was that big a deal for the markets. Everybody wants to spin it into some big uh, cosmic uh, story. But for the markets, I've been saying all year long, the Trump tax cuts, the Trump deregulation will persist. It cannot be undone. Maybe he's not going to get a lot of new stuff done. He's not going to get a second tax bill. But the core of the Trump economic policy that the markets love so much is going to stay in place. So, I, you know, I agree with you. I don't think it was a big deal. I think if we'd seen something, 
you know, where the market may have had to recalculate a little bit if we'd seen a, a huge wave, uh, you know, one way or the other, if there'd been a huge. But, but, but there wasn't, and, and it was according to expectations, and I don't think it changes market. And for me, our concentration, I mean, I think the market has to look at uh, three things, which would be the Fed, the Fed, and the Fed. Um, yep. Uh, uh, pretty much in that order. I mean, may, I'm sorry. Maybe, you know, maybe tariffs, but um, uh, so we've got a decent economy. The election has happened. Um, it sets up something interesting, though, Greg. I don't want to just move to the markets and the economy quite yet. Uh, will Nancy Pelosi, uh, she's going to become the speaker, right? I think so. It's not a certainty, but the odds favor her, yep. Okay. And then uh, tell us about what do you think about the relationship uh, with the um, Democratic-led House and a Speaker Pelosi-led House and a Trump administration in the executive branch? Can they find ground to be collaborative? Is it going to be a fight? Are there going to be subpoenas? Are they going to be at war? How does it what do you see? I just don't see collaboration. I think that the, the differences are too great. The, the personality clashes are too toxic. Uh, and, of course, in this town, bizarrely, we're already thinking about the next election. We're thinking about 2020. So I think both parties have this uh, unending campaign that just continues on and on and on. So now they're moving on to the next campaign. So I don't see a lot of stuff getting done. I would make this point, Michael. I maybe depart a little bit from conventional wisdom. I'm not sure gridlock is 100% good. Everyone says, well, it means they do less harm, and the markets have rallied on this belief that we've got gridlock. But we're going to neglect some things like dealing with the deficit, dealing with health care, dealing with infrastructure. There are a lot of big issues, especially the deficit, that need to be addressed, but they won't be. But they won't be. What about the infrastructure spending? Because that's been an area where people thought that perhaps both sides could get together. They, you know, neither seems to be too reluctant to spend money, which just drives me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no well, that, fiscal restraint. Well, and, and you know, the thing is, both parties are complicit. In the old days, the Republicans were the party of fiscal restraint, and the Democrats were profligate. Now both parties are profligate, and I don't see any leadership to go after the enormity of these deficits. I mean, can you believe in a full employment economy, the deficit in this new fiscal year will be close to $1 trillion? You have to it's wonder absurd. what would happen if the economy weakened. Could we go to $2 trillion? Well, I think we could. I mean, you know, but certainly we can go north of $1 trillion, and I think we will go yeah. north of $1 trillion. I, I mean, I don't see any way uh, around that. Um, so I, I guess, Greg, if I'm listening to you, if we if we don't find a way to cooperate uh, going forward, unless it's spending more money, which would be unfortunate uh, economically, um, then uh, we have this these sort of two combative parties. Which one does a combative environment favor? I mean, if we look at that two years, because I think you you correctly, you know, I think you're right. You, we're going to start looking to 2020 in the presidential election. If you see a combative White House and House of Representatives, who wins that one? Who 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 benefits more in combat? Well, I've thought all year long, and thank you for reading my morning piece. I've said I thought there was a plausible case, very plausible, for Trump to win re-election. But there were some warning signals on Tuesday night. Uh, the Republicans did very poorly in the Great Lakes states, the Rust Belt. Uh, there are a lot of very angry um, suburban women. 
And uh, I, I know Florida broke for the Republicans, and Texas probably still is Republican. But in order to get to 270 votes, Trump's going to have to repeat his performance in Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania. And they didn't do well on Tuesday night there. Right. No question. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think, too, when you when you try and sort out um, that overplaying of the hand that you mentioned, it, it, it kind of leaves me scratching my head uh, about um, uh, Jim Acosta from CNN and yeah. that that bit of a kerfluffle he had with the president yesterday. It, was that an overplaying of the hand? What do you think about that? How did that strike you? I think Trump is a genius at playing off of foils. He loves a good foil, whether it's a caravan from Central America or the press or maybe Elizabeth Warren down the road or Nancy Pelosi. If he gets a foil that he can demonize, he really does that very adroitly. So in a strange sort of way, he can benefit from some of his opponents overreaching. So if, uh, so if he really can get somebody, you know, uh, when I studied psychology and child and adolescent psychology, one of the things that they said was the two- and three-year-old love to kind of throw tantrums to the extent that they can get the parent to engage and start screaming too. Because once they get the parent screaming along with the two-year-old, the two-year-old has the parent down on their level. As soon as the parent doesn't scream, and remains a calm voice and says, now, whenever you get over yourself, we can move forward. Uh, that's parenting. But th- it's, it's an old ploy for the two-year-old to try yep. and get you to scream, too, right? Uh, and I think, Michael, the screaming is going to persist for the next couple of years. I oh, think it's going God. to be very acrimonious. Uh, I think we have not obviously heard the end of uh, Robert Mueller, who has spent the last two or three months talking to people who are singing like canaries. So we still have more of that of that to go. But the important point for investors, for many perhaps many people listening to us, the important point is that the U.S. fundamentals still look pretty damn good. Well, and 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 you know one of the things you've written, and and I want to ask you too, uh, you know, because we do have the Robert Robert Mueller has not gone away. We have a new yep. acting attorney general. Um, uh, there's, there's, uh, he hasn't been confirmed yet, but, but there's, there's more peril, I think, still there. Do you, what do you see, what are you hearing still could come forward from Robert Mueller? And, and, and how, how many grenades, are they big grenades or little grenades? I think they could be big. You've got a lot of people who want to avoid lengthy incarceration who are talking to him. And one could only speculate when Michael Cohen has given uh, Mueller. Michael Cohen obsessively recorded everything. So I think there are more uh, uh, More grenades to drop. Yeah, exactly. But I I would say that Mueller's made it clear that he doesn't have the authority to indict a sitting president. So he's going to give all of this information to Congress in a report, maybe fairly soon, and then it's up to Congress. And while I think the House could impeach, I think the Senate would acquit. And Sessions gone that quickly? Was that a surprise? I mean, it, 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 the paint wasn't dry, as we say. <laughs> Actually, to be honest with you, I'm surprised he lasted that long. <laughs> uh, he, 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 he must have quite uh, a uh, capacity to withstand abuse. I think that could apply to Wilbur Ross. I think several other people in the next few weeks may depart as well. And what does that mean for the for the uh, complexion of the administration? If these folks go, uh, so we we we've had a we have a uh, acting uh, a, attorney general now who is a mm-hmm. Trump 
uh, Republican loyalist, but a Trump loyalist as much as anything. Are, are we going to see a much more homogeneous, uh, do you think, administration uh, across the board now? I think it's going to be more of the same, the intrigue, you know, who's up, who's down, the dysfunction. Uh, I would be very disappointed if Mattis left. I think Mattis is first rate. I think he's a real adult uh, player. Yes, I'd be I really too. disappointed if General Kelly left. But I, I think too. an awful lot of people not only disagree with the president, I think they're burned out. I think they've had too many 16-hour days. Yeah, it's easy to get burned out. You know, you and I were talking before you came on. Even the even the press covering this get burned out. I mean, this is this is really brutal to keep up with, isn't it? You know, every day there's a new story, and uh, some are really grim, like the shootings in California. Uh, others just defy credulity, like you know Trump and the porn star. Every day there's a new development, and for a lot of my reporter friends, uh, they're beat. I mean, they're they're burned out. And uh, I think that maybe the American public is looking at this as well and saying, could we have some a period of tranquility? I think that would be most welcome by the public. Yeah, but uh, don't don't hold your breath. You know, I think, no. ladies and gentlemen, so uh, let me just recap, because I want to ask Greg another question before we go. And I know we're running out of time. But Greg Valliere, uh, again, one of the absolute best political analysts and translators and speakers of this odd, very odd Washington dialect uh, that, that insiders banner around. This guy is one of the best I've, I've ever known, and we've known one another more, well more than two decades. Um, and when he said, you know, this was not a big deal for the markets, and the other thing that Greg has said is there's no threat to the Trump tax cuts that really have helped the economy. The economy seems to be on pretty firm ground. Um, so uh, markets uh, right now, uh, the, the effect was, is, is, is not going to be a big deal, and the economy is strong. What do you see? Uh, how do you see? So what I want you to talk about uh, just as we finish up here, Greg, is the Fed. Is Jay, tell, talk to us about Jay Powell, the Fed, his ability with, to withstand the criticism, and what you see him doing in this economic environment. Do you, you know, as we look out to the Fed's projections for 2019 and 2020, we're getting back to that 2% number. So it's not a huge, robust number. Should he keep raising? Will he keep doing it? What do you think? I have a high regard for him and people at the Fed who are resistant to political pressure. I think that Powell will not overdo it. If the economy gets a little softer, maybe we only get two moves next year. But there are going to be more moves. And I think the president, who doesn't like the Fed now, could be even more critical when we're 75 basis points higher. So that's going to be an ongoing irritant for the markets to see the president of the United States in a pitched battle with his Fed chairman. Is there anything, is there anything Greg, as you survey, and I, and I know that you're going to uh, take a little break and, and get some time off, and I'm glad you're going to do that because I know the hours you've been putting in have been brutal. But uh, is there anything, as you survey the entire scene, from Washington, and as you know Wall Street so well, is there anything that kind of keeps you awake at night? What what is what what would be a couple of your bigger concerns right now? I think that when it comes to geopolitics, things look remarkably tranquil. I mean, you have to worry about Iran and Putin, but I, I, that doesn't bother me. I guess what would disturb me is if we had a protracted trade war. 
And uh, this went on and on and on with China. Uh, at some point, I think businesses, especially in the Midwest or farmers, may cut back on their investment plans because of the uncertainty that a long trade war would bring. I think we're needlessly provoking a, a, uh, an economic anxiety that hopefully cooler heads will address over the next few months. I, a, a long trade war with China would worry me. Kenny Polcari says he thinks that there is a magic bullet coming and that they're going to have a trade deal with China before the year end. Any chance? From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> I, I, I do think that when they meet in Buenos Aires yes. on November 30th, yes. December 1, I, I do think that the personal relationship between Trump and Xi will be resurrected. Whether they can get a deal on all of the many issues, that's going to take many months to come. You are the best. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Valliere is the chief global strategist at Horizon Investments. He is a pro's pro. When I need to know what's going on in Washington and how it's going to affect Wall Street, I really do. I, I read Greg Valliere every day. Go to our website. Uh, go to Horizon Investments' website. Subscribe to Greg's writings. I'm telling you, it's the best thing I read. I read it every day without fail. Greg, thank you. You're too kind. Enjoyed it. Had a great time. So long, Michael. Okay, pal. Have a great time in Paris. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for yet another Farcast. We really appreciate it. It is a great privilege. Please remember that if you think you heard any recommendation to buy or sell any type of security on the Farcast, you didn't. We're not recommending you change anything in your portfolios. If you feel compelled or think that it's time to make a change in your portfolio, please contact and consult with a financial professional and get some good advice. Don't do it because you think we said to do it because we didn't say to do it. Again, uh, in Washington, D.C., with a very grateful heart to all of you uh, from the Farcast, I'm Michael Farr. See you next week.